hello and welcome to the podcast minds. There but for the grace of pod go we. I'm Ashley and my pronouns are she her. Introdu- introduce yourself, fellow co-host. Hi, I'm V, he, him, and I'm here too. You sure are. Yep. Thank you for being here today. No problem. The subject of the podcast is the webcomic that we are here today to podcast about. It is a MS Paint fan adventure, a beginner's guide to the end of the universe. Veer, have you heard of this before today? Well, before I brought it up to you uh, in the first place? Not before you brought it up. I have since then read a little bit of it, but found out that it's about 800 pages long, so... It is. It is not short. Yeah. Anyway, how far into the webcomic did you get? Um, I had just gotten in Broken Bottle. Ah, I see. Like, a couple dozen pages. Yeah, Alright, yeah. that's fine. I can work with that. A Beginner's Guide to the End of the Universe, or here on out, Beginner's Guide, not to be confused with the video game, The Beginner's Guide, is a classic MS Paint fan adventure in that it follows the same basic format as all four MS Paint adventures. Uh, it was released in the heyday of the most famous one, Homestuck, in uh, late to very late 2011, and is actually surprisingly short well surprisingly it's 800 pages long but it finished which is a surprise for something of that format and it only took a couple months Hmm. Uh, it starts with a mysterious man waking up in a mysterious nondescript room and being asked for a name it then proceeds in the regular MS Paint Adventures style of just kind of making shit up as you go along, borrowing heavily from video game and occasionally tabletop game tropes. Along the way, as characters are introduced, it evolves into something more complicated but also more serious as it takes itself more seriously and attempts to set up a real story. It eventually ends with the death of the main character and a nice little epilogue putting a bow on the whole thing. Ah, so, like any good story. Of course. Mm. Overall, it's short, it's sweet, it's foundational to the genre in, at least I personally think so, in some interesting ways. And uh, from what you read, what did you think about it? I was interested. Didn't know if it was going to get, like, serious because it's been mostly jokey so far. But I can tell that there's hints of it where it could get serious. Yes. As a little bit more specific of a plot summary, uh, the everyman, who is the main character, discovers that he exists, discovers some basic game mechanics of the world in which he lives, including the core one, creativity, which allows him to create and modify various of objects. He just kind of fucks about for a bit until his first real breakthrough, where he creates a purple dog and names her Snuffy. Mood. He goes on to defeat various beasts, uh, one of which, notably, creates a stone polyhedron when it dies that just kind of sits there and is later revealed to have grown somehow into a strange tree that releases mechanical beasts. These polyhedrons continue to appear infrequently over the course of the Everyman's adventures, during which he 
upgrades Snuffy the dog into a cyborg battle dog, and makes another friend, a bird, which he tames and promptly names Chairman Jack. The real turning point comes when he manages to create a person, Mary, who is different from all of the other characters so far in that they are not a game abstraction in any way and do not interact with other objects as game abstractions, but as real objects in a real world. Gaveryman and Mary go on to meet a man, Ryan, and who initially attempts to kill them, but eventually manages to calm down, and after thoroughly exploring the current world that they find themselves in, the Everyman decides to make a journey to the Black Star, an ominous pulsing object in the distance in this empty white feet in this empty white largely featureless except for their immediate surroundings world that they find themselves in mm-hmm. the everyman tra- the everyman traveling to the black star is one of is the first climax of the story i would say they explore the black star and find a featureless white chamber uh with very high gravity and a being in it. Uh, this being explains obliquely that it is effectively a physical and conscious representation of the Big Crunch, the hypothesized end of the universe where all matter is collected into a single point. Uh, it created the beasts that the Everyman has been fighting so far out of an unfor- unfortunate but necessary attempt to continue to collect all matter to into itself because because that cannot occur while the everyman lives because surprise surprise the everyman is every man he is the co- combined and collected souls of all of humanity uh-oh and the everyman's will imposing itself on the world is why everything hasn't been sucked into the black star yet uh, notably when everyman explored the black star earlier it was a completely featureless landscape until he took his first steps onto it, at which point terrain spontaneously manifested itself. This will come up again later. Mm-hmm. The Everyman barely manages to defeat the Big Crunch and make it back to the surface of the Black Star and eventually blasts off again. Notably, it is remarked upon that the Black Star has a thick layer of radiation outside the edge of its atmosphere. Which, no, the Black Star is not actually a star, it's a planet. The player, as the Everyman, uh, attempts to mitigate this on the way out, but it is not necessarily effective. Upon escaping, the Everyman discovers a mysterious door that they had seen before but could not open. They cut it open and proceed into the place where the first act of the comic took place, but things are different. It is lived, it is furnished differently, and it seems to be lived in now, whereas it wasn't before. Uh, The Everyman discovers through a series of events that there is a civilization descended from the now mythic figures of Mary and Ryan living in this place now, and they are at war with the followers of the Icosahedron, which the Everyman surmises is somehow related to the various of polyhedrons encountered previously. The Everyman had at this point faded into legend as some sort of capricious godlike entity who created everyone and was tricked into disappearing into the Black Star to an unknown fate. 
it is figured out that it that a significant amount of time has in fact passed since the Everyman left due to time dilation caused by the Black Star. Are you following so far? I probably should have checked in earlier because this is a lot. It's I'm following it. Hopefully, the listener's following it too. <laughs> Hopefully so, uh, listener. If you aren't following, feel free to at me on Twitter at awfulworldkid. I will answer all your questions. I actually really like this webcomic. Just raise your hand. Yeah, just raise your hand. Anyway, so the Everyman takes the air in his airship along with the pe- the people of this world's air fleet, and they take the fight to the followers of the Icasahedron. Uh, the Everyman, along with his squad of friends, manages to locate and destroy the actual Icasahedron. It is revealed that this object has somehow given the high priests of the cult of the Icasahedron the ability to summon objects and manipulate reality in a similar manner to the Everyman. The radiation he received from the Black Star is revealed slightly earlier to this to be breaking the Everyman up into his constituent particles, which are humanity as a whole, individual souls. His realization that he does not have long to live weakens him physically, but allows him to derive creativity from friendship and report instead of uh, getting really drunk or poisoning himself, like previously. And eventually, when he fully accepts that he's going to die and makes peace with the world, he gains access to a reservoir of infinite creativity, which he uses to deal with the final remaining high priests of the cult of the Icosahedron, and free all of the people from their terrible rule. He dies of his radiation sickness not long after, and his remains are committed to the Black Star, while everyone else in the world above moves on with their life. In the epilogue, it is revealed that uh, him landing back on the Black Star uh, causes it to develop just as it did when he stepped on it earlier, into a real planet that looks quite similar to Earth, notably to Earth as it's depicted in Homestuck, and causes it to repopulate with early man and some suspiciously purple-looking wolves, which are then tamed. And life goes on. The end. Okay. (laughs) Didn't expect that ending, considering it starts out with you just Breaking up in your apartment. A lot happens along the way. Because things just keep getting more complicated and they don't stop. At the beginning, it's game abstractions becoming ever more weird and abstract. But at a certain turning point, and I'm not entirely sure actually when, it starts becoming an actual story and not just some screwing around. And a story has to have an ending, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Or is this One Piece? Well, the One Piece is real. That, that is true. Uh, but yeah, to go on a slight tangent, Veer, have you read Homestuck? I have not. Uh, are you familiar with Homestuck and its direct predecessor, Problems Loose, more generally? I know. I've seen a Let's Play of Hive Mind, I think it's called. Ah, uh, Hive Swap. Hive Swap. Yeah. And I know of the Trolls. The thing about MS Paint fan adventures that existed this early is they're different 
from how you might expect if you only really know about the things that came after Homestuck, because th people making things er this early generally tend to owe a lot more to the things that came before than the things that came after. Like I said, this was made when Homestuck was at its height. Homestuck really started to get big at around the same time that the trolls were introduced, but it had a rich and storied history beforehand with Problem Sleuth, the predecessor webcomic that lasted for about one year back in 2007 to 2008 or so, mm -hmm. and was genuinely quite well-received, and importantly had a real and satisfying ending, which... It would have been quite difficult to pull off, considering how it started. Beginner's Guide goes possibly even more extreme than that, because all, all of the MS Paint adventures initially are about being stuck in a room, and the world outside doesn't really matter. Like in, for say, a text adventure game, what is outside of the bounds of what you can explore may as well not exist because it's irrelevant to the story and because the player can't go there. And Beginner's Guide takes this to an extreme in that things that are outside of the bounds of the story literally do not exist. It is just featureless, blank nothingness. Yeah. Uh, I'm sorry for talking over you so much. Do you have any things that you'd like to say about this webcomic? Oh. No, you're fine, you're fine. <laughs> uh, what did you think of the aesthetic styles of this webcomic? Um, it's simplistic, but I like it for a webcomic. Like, it's yeah. obviously meant to be simplistic. Yeah, the characters are mostly either real photographs that have been edited in some way to make them conform visually, or simple blocky stick figures, which really does work. Well, because they're sim they're heavily symbolic in a way that, again, is borrowed a lot from Homestuck and Problem Sleuth, where everything was heavily symbolic. Mm -hmm. And aesthetic, and more generally aesthetically, it has a lot, it takes a lot from those in that it's monochromatic, it is all white except for the notable exception of the purple dog. Gotta love that purple dog. Yeah, the best sport, well, best girl. Yes. And, again, most of it is photorealistic, but turned grayscale. And these, again, are things that were present in Problem Sooth, which was all grayscale, except for, well, mostly grayscale. The environments were, for the most part, and the characters were, but occasionally color was used to emphasize a scene or make things seem more important. The very early MS Paint Adventures had, to the best of my knowledge, no color at all whatsoever. But here, there is one thing that is colored, entirely on the whims of the player character, and the photorealistic backgrounds are taken from a concept that Homestuck used as well, where certain areas would be just photographs but tinted a certain color to make them fit in visually yeah so it immediately endeared itself to its target audience by using recognizable visual styles which i think was a clever idea and i'm not entirely sure how popular this is but it does seem that people 
especially like it in the comments. So, I do think that what reception of it there is is generally quite positive, which it deserves, yeah. in my opinion. Yeah, I know. I don't know if it was this or probably one of the Homestuck, Homestuck stuff, but I know. Um, have you ever read the red comic Scoob and Shag? Oh, absolutely, all the way through. Okay. So, you also know that it is mostly grayscale, black and white, except for certain parts. Yeah. Unclear how much of the predominantly grayscale aesthetic aesthetic is owed to Homestuck and its lineage, or how much of it is just paper comics in newspapers where the only time they'd get color was on the weekend, on Sunday. That's true. And also, old cartoons were also black and white as well. That's true. Webcomics as an art form were, back in 2011, definitely a thing, but I don't think they were nearly as popular as they are now, though I, I could be misjudging them. I wasn't really into webcomics in 2011, to be perfectly honest. What do you think? Um, there's definitely a niche thing. Um, I remember reading some Sprite comics. It's on, if I can name the website, it's called Mac Jeeves or something like that. That sounds correct. But there's definitely niche. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's nested internet subcultures all the way down. Mm -hmm. I know the two that I've read was Kingdom Hearts Online and the Reapers games. Which I do not know if they age real or not. It's been too long for me to remember. <laughs> yeah, and the thing about this is, Beginner's Guide is not alone. There were there were probably many other similar webcomics of its time. Not just ones that were kind of like it in some ways. Other MS Paint fan adventures that took fan submissions to determine where the story went. Which was, again, something they picked up from the progenitors. Uh, the first MS Paint Adventure, actually, retroactively named Jailbreak. And the place where they got all these submissions was generally on the MS Paint Adventure forums, which sadly no longer exist. They were shut down, and all of the archives were lost due to data errors. Mm -hmm. So, how it's set up, it is was basically a choose-your-own-adventure story, but you had to be there doing when it was being published. Yeah, absolutely. It's a choose-your-own-adventure webcomic that gets built as people read it. It's The train tracks are being laid as the trade is moving along, so in order to have a coherent plot, especially if you're less popular and thus have fewer choices over what you get to make happen, you really gotta make your readers say the right things and ask the right questions and do things that work within the bounds of the rules that you haven't quite established yet because no one bothered to ask. Yeah. Creating something like this is walking a very fine line between being a good dungeon master and being a good text adventure parser and while you're doing that you also have to write a good story mm -hmm. and that's why i find this art form so interesting because it is its own art form and you will find it 
almost nowhere outside of places like MS Paint Fan Adventures. Maybe just MS Paint Fan Adventures because Homestuck is the single best known example of the format. And MS Paint Fan Adventures is its inheritor in so many ways. Like, as a pop cultural phenomenon, or at the very least an internet pop cultural phenomenon, MS Paint Adventures, and more specifically Homestuck, caused a lot of things to happen, but a lot of very different things. And MS Paint Fan Adventures as a project, as a community, as a repository of creative works, is, I'd argue, one of the more unique things that sprouted from this. Yeah, the only thing that I can think of that could that has technically done a choose your own adventure stuff would be fan fictions on fanfiction.net. I think they never finished because that's technically against the terms of service of fanfiction.net. Oh, absolutely. Choose your own adventure stuff. I know that it's never going to be proven one way or the other, but I firmly believe that choose your own adventure stuff, and especially second person, was banned from fanfic.net partially due to a virtually as a response to ms paint adventures because it was the thing on the internet that was doing it it's the reason why quote unquote kids these days know about second person perspective Mm -hmm. because no one is doing it except choose your own adventures and stuff like homestuck and for the kids out there wanting to write a second-person fanfic, remember, why you is pronounced you, but it's also a name. Just letting you know. It is. The letter U is also pronounced you, but it's also not a word. It's a letter. That too. At- Everyone texts like that, but there are different standards for formal writing, and if you're going to put it up on Archive of Our Own... It might help to be a little bit formal. I mean, this anime characters that have, like, rather just a letter as their name. Yeah, there might be an anime character out there somewhere that has the letter U as their name. I wouldn't put it past them. I don't know who they are, but I wouldn't put it past them. I know there's a there's a character in the gacha game Arknights that's named W. Of course there is. <laughs> uh, anyway, the webcomic that this podcast is supposed to be about... Uh, do you have any other thoughts on it that you want to say? Or do you want me to go on a final tangent and then figure out what to say next? Um, I think I'll let you go ahead and get to your tangent, because I'm interested in hearing it. Uh, I was going to talk about fanfiction, actually, because, like, yes, this is a kind of fanfiction, but it is very distinct from the kind of fanfiction that picks up on characters or even concepts from the original work and reinterprets them directly because this insofar as it is fan fiction is fan fiction of the format and not necessarily fan fiction of the work specifically like obviously it was inspired by a certain thing and it would not exist without that thing but how much is it that thing materially and i would say very little mm-hmm. like if you were to accuse it of plagiarism you would lose outright but it is still fan fiction. And I think that's interesting. Do you know of anything comparable in other spheres? I'd probably say works that use like public domain stuff 
is basically just fan fiction. Like, uh, the Sherlock Holmes versus Cthulhu books are basically just both Lovecraftian and Sherlock Holmes fan fiction, so. I mean, yeah, that's true. I was thinking, what makes something fan fiction when it is this level of divorced from the original media where you're not borrowing any characters or themes well maybe some themes or even really ideas about the plot but more when you're borrowing a general format and a way of telling stories like this is clearly an identifiably fan fiction but it's also clearly an identifiably different from the thing that spawned it and i don't think i've ever seen that before or again and that's what makes me find this so interesting uh, do you agree I agree. I would also go as far as that if you really wanted to get super technical about it, you could argue that that's basically just media and storytelling in general, because it's all it's all just feeding off of each other. There's nothing new under the sun. Yeah. The first story ever told was also the only original story it's ever told. Everything else is in some way derivative. Mm-hmm. And that's what makes art good. If all art was de- original, then art could not be related to other art, and art would effectively lose all meaning. This is kind of a strong premise that I'm saying, but I do believe in it. Yeah. Our webcomics art, even. I mean, I'd say so. Yeah. This is half tabletop role-playing game campaign, half video game story illustrated with basically clip art with some scribblings and it is indisputably art even though you wouldn't name most of those things as art so when you're talking about internet media like this and like so many other things you kind of have to expand your definition of art or else a lot of stuff that is art is going to slip through the cracks yeah like i guess you could also just go nothing's art so just eat absorb everything as much as you can yeah either way works if everything's art then no one's art yeah uh, that's the plot of the incredibles i think yeah that's it there weren't enough jokes in this episode so i decided to throw one in right near it's only been like half an hour but i'm running out of ideas i'm sorry yeah yeah i should have probably said some jokes in the middle when you pause and stuff that's my bad uh, yeah we can't all be funny all the time. Only I can be funny all the time. I've never made a joke that has ever fallen flat in my entire life. Yeah. All my jokes. Uh, yep. Garbage. In the trash. Damn. That sucks. I hope you can find them again. Now that they're in the trash. Me too. So I guess, this, unless you want to keep going, I guess we can do plugs. Uh... Do you know of anything else to talk about? I'm a little disappointed that it ended up going this short, but I guess the thing that we're reviewing is kind of not all that long, and the thing about it is not that much happens in it. Like, if you dig down to the plot important stuff, like, a bunch of it is just screwing around and discovering the nature of the world, which is admirable in its own way, and it feels like it's emulating some stuff from its predecessors without really understanding why because the thing about those is that they didn't really have all that much of a reason to exist in the first place it's 
things just being made up on the spot all the way down. Yeah. I mean, I could think of some stuff, but that'll probably bump us past an hour, and I don't want to be too mean on Kingdom. We've been recording for 34 minutes. Do you really have 26 minutes left of things to say? Because if so, I would like to hear them, actually, if abridged somewhat. On a completely different medium. <laughs> How much do you know of the uh, gotcha game Arknights? <laughs> I've played the first bit of Arknights. I do not remember it. If you would like to explain about it to me, go ahead. Okay, so I'll try to make it quick so we're not too long. Okay, so Arknights is a mobile gotcha game where you, well, tower defense gotcha game. You play take the role of the Doctor, who is, I guess you can say main character? You have a point of view character, that's bad. That's the term that I was thinking of. You wake, wake up in, well, you have a dream sequence where find the exact words, because I had actually looked up a Let's Play of it first, and then got into it after this opening scene. Oh, that's interesting. I I never actually thought about Let's Plays of Gotcha games existing, even though, like, people will Let's Play absolutely anything, so obviously they must. And while you're still looking stuff up, uh, I had an idea about the title of the player character, because they're always given a title. They're never given a name. This is especially prevalent in games where... The there's voice acting, so someone has to say a name out loud, but even games where you're allowed to name the player character do that. And if I recall correctly, Arknights isn't actually one of those. But I don't believe Arknights has the level of voice acting that would require the player to be given a title, so is it just genre convention at this point, or is there something I'm missing? Well... I know, like, if you go to the individual characters, you can go through a list of, like, dialogues, things they'll say during combat, or, like, just extra lore bits. Well, you can, you do get to name your doctor whenever doing the speech bubble for a certain text will show your name, whatever name you gave your doctor. The dialogue... The voice actor will say, will just address you as Doctor. Oh, so there is enough voice to dialogue to the point where they have to give you a name that they can say. That's interesting. Yeah. It's mostly just side stuff, but yeah. Yeah, because I've noticed that this is a new phenomenon, relatively speaking, because before voice acting is so prevalent, then they just wouldn't have someone say your name or they would get around it some other way but uh minor tangent i've been watching a let's play of xcom 2 recently and i've noticed that they say the title that's given to the player character a lot like kind of an unreasonable amount in my estimation so as voice acting proliferates and gets more common, these titles just keep happening. 
so that they don't have to just dance around with pronouns, or so they can u avoid using pronouns altogether and just use the title whenever your character is referred to. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so anyways, Arknights. So the opening line to Arknights is, as you kind of break, the first image is a blank room with a kind of black and white checkered floor, and you facing thing a blank window with like clouds on the other side. And then you hear the first bit of dialogue. It's been a long time since we've last seen each other. During this time, you've been teetering on the edge of a cliff. You may have forgotten who you are, but just remembering your name is enough. It's time. Don't linger here for too long. After all, you aren't a guest yet. Nor should you, you even be here. She still needs you. December 23rd. You may not remember what this date means to you, and this will thrust you into peril. And as that last bit of dialogue is said, it, the clap will kind of change to what seems to be a dragon, like an eye of a dragon on the other side. It's not very clear what it is. And then you wake up in a... Hospital room. Basically, this is where Arknight, the game Arknight starts because you are introduced to the poster character and arguably the true main character of the game. I think her name is pronounced Amelia or Amya. Yeah, the the main anime girl. Yeah, because it's always an anime girl. Mm -hmm. Main rabbit. Main bunny anime girl. It's interesting that you mention uh, September 23rd because... Oh, December. Oh, December 23rd. Mm -hmm. Dang it, I was going to do a whole thing. Because I, I mentioned earlier that this webcomic was from 2011. That's not true. I got the date wrong. <laughs> uh, this webcomic was created over the, source, over the course of uh, four days in September, then a break, then three days in November. September 20th through 23rd, and November 19th through 21st, 2010. Okay. Yeah. And if I remember correctly, December 23rd, unless there's a sec like a another importance to it, I think it is Amelia's birthday. Huh. So whoever this, like, dragon thing was basically just being like, hey, this girl is basically... Very important to you. Remember her birthday. Well, that's neat. But yeah, I guess gacha games are currently the most enduring use of the second person perspective, huh? Um, yeah. I guess for the most part. I think, yeah, because I think it does say, still addresses you as you during the cutscenes. Yeah. The the age of the homestuck has ended. It is now the age of the gotcha. Because, yeah, second-person perspective is notably uncommon, but when it shows up, it shows up in a particular context. First it was, I guess, text adventure... Uh, first it was, I guess, print, choose-your-own-adventure books, then text adventures, then webcomics like homestuck, and now it's gotchas. Mm -hmm. And it's because... It's the most intimate 
form of even more intimate than I, because I implies that it is another person writing about themselves, but using second-person perspective means that everything is being directed from the author to the reader or readers, and in the modern world you live in, the concept of the reader is becoming increasingly atomized, because now these gacha games are mass-market products made to be downloaded by thousands, tens, or tens, or... I'm not going to say hundreds of thousands, but I sure wasn't going to, of people, and done by a team of writers. But back when it was text adventures, you would get people making a game on their own and creating it for not all that many people to play. And when we progressed to MS Paint Adventures, sure, Homestuck was mega popular in its peak, but its spin-offs and its earlier versions were generally pretty small affairs, written by one person and directed to not all that many people, even over the internet. So, not to philosophize too much, but I think it's a sign of the times that we live in that the most intimate form of writing, well, most the most intimate perspective of writing is becoming less so. Yeah. And or maybe I'm just really goddamn pretentious. <laughs> that could also be a perfectly good explanation. Um, I know there's some like books and short stories that also do a second person approach. I know a short story based in the same universe as the Dead Jane and Cairo book series. Is this written the second person? Oh, interesting. I know there's another book series I can't remember the name of that I've been told, or at least I've heard, that people online that it's written in the second person, but I don't know if that's more you taking a role of a character in the scene, well, the point of view being someone in the scene but not the main character, or if it's simply addressing the main character as you. And I think that's another, like, progression over time of second-person perspective. Because in the early ones, in the books, it was... I guess sometimes it would be you playing as yourself, but generally it is you are this established character. You are playing the role of this established character. And later on it becomes, in text adventures... You are playing the role of some mysterious person. Uh, no details will be provided, but there is a guy here. You just can't see him. Uh, then, so in Homestuck, follows more of the Homestuck and Problem Sooth follow more of the tradition of you collectively are playing as this guy who really exists. But they also and their spin-offs even more so, let you determine things about the guy who exists in some ways. Like, Homestuck, all of its characters were named by fan submission. Mm -hmm. So that took kind of a significant role in the story. They kept coming up. If, if a different name had been picked out of the list, then we wouldn't have Vriscourse in the modern era. And what a different world would that be? Yeah. 
This this that joke was for people who understand it. I'm sorry, everyone who didn't. If you want an explanation, <laughs> at me on Twitter. I will not be providing it, but it might make you feel better to do that. <laughs> but yeah, and now in the modern era, Gacha Games, you are you as a person who has been transplanted into this story. There are some details about you provided, but you're supposed to fill in the blanks with yourself because. You, it's traveled all the way to actual player insert. Yeah, and I guess to save on time, I'm going to skip ahead and say, as the story goes on in Arknights, you do find out that yeah, you were you basically did take the role of someone else because is you are basically a immortal who. Whenever they are killed, or quote-unquote killed, they basically just regenerate. But sometimes that might cause them to, for lack of a better term, factory reset. And that is what happened to you. And that's why you have oh, no, wild. no memories at the beginning of the game. Huh. And what do we know of well, pre-game Doctor? They sound like a... Not a nice person. Yeah. Like, they was technically fighting on the right side, but they were the type of tactician who, as long as the, like, as long as there's a strategic, like, as long as, sorry. Human cost? What human cost? Yeah, basically. (laughs) The ends justify the means. Oh, absolutely. You know... I, I know that I've heard of that concept somewhere before, but the only place that I can remember it is Danganronpa V3. So, uh, I'm not going to explain any of that. Uh, if you want to find out the story behind that, at someone else on Twitter. Don't <laughs> at me, because I'm not going to explain it, because I don't know how. Because I've never played any of the Danganronpa games. I'm sorry. I have no answers for you. Yeah, but... For anyone on the hyperfix, the hyperfix stage, the the. Oh right, I haven't listened to the hyperfix Rampa episode yet, but I'm sure it's good. A lot of the hyperfix episodes are good. I went back and reread a let's play of Near Automata after the Near episode, actually. Yeah, with on the hyperfix part, the dark, the Discord, I described Arknights as yes story is basically imagine Kingdom Hearts mixed with with um X-Men and throw in some Eldritch Lovecraftian horror and just throw in like animal girls. Yeah and fair enough in that's, general. That's exactly what I would expect. Uh anyway with that absolutely great segue, would you like to head into final summation and then plugs and then the end of the podcast? Yeah. Also, for anyone who's curious, basically, that's the intro of Arknights. Go play the game if you're interested in more. It's technically free to download. If you want if you want to know more about Arknights, at Veer on Twitter. I will not be telling you their Twitter username because I don't know what it is. I would like to know, too. <laughs> Alright, so in summation, A Beginner's Guide to the End of the Universe is good. It is Kind of like Homestuck, but not quite, to the point where you can ignore it, enjoy it, even if you didn't get into Homestuck. 
and I would recommend that you do. It's pretty good as a read goes, and the ending is surprisingly touching for how it starts out. Uh, so, Veer, uh, would you like to do your plugs first? You can find me at patreon.com slash moonshotnetric. If you don't want to pay you to talk to me, you can join the Moonshot Netric Discord. Unless it's blocked in a Patreon role, then I guess join Patreon. Join for Patreon. Fill <laughs> me your money. They're good. Uh, as for me, you can find me on Twitter at, at AwfulWorldKid. Uh, you can find me on Discord at AwfulWorldKid hash 8112. Uh, I'm also on the Moonshot Discord. In fact, I'm not even a Moonshot patron. I'm just a dirty freeloader. <laughs> uh, listen to all of the Moonshot podcasts, not just the, cur- the one you're currently listening to. My special recommendation would have to be uh, go back and listen to Interstitial. The really old one that's discontinued now, all three seasons of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it features esteemed uh, host Riley Hopkins from the podcast that normally takes up this feed, and it's real good. Uh, if you want to know more about Moonshot, uh, I guess at them on Twitter. I don't know how pleased they'll be with me saying this, but... Uh, they can't stop me because I'm not a real creator. I just showed up, and no one's managed to take the microphone away from me yet. Yeah, I mean, mood. Yeah, I guess that'll be all. Thank you for listening to uh, Unnamed Podcast number whatever this is. Uh, we will probably never return. It's probably for the best. Um, a beginner's guide to podcasting? You know what? Sure. A Beginner's Guide to the End of Podcasting. I love you all. Have a good night. I'll see you whenever.